What's the biggest temptation Christians face living on the Gold Coast? Have you thought about this before? Did you consider this before you moved here? Let's just think about that together for a moment. Let's think about that together. What's the biggest temptation Christians face living on the Gold Coast? Of course, there's no correct answer here. No survey conducted or report findings to be found. And no temptation is specifically Gold Coast. Temptation comes in all faces, spaces and places. The temptation to sin is everywhere. It's not restricted to or limited by a Gold Coast lifestyle. But certain sins appear more appealing to us. Speaking of appearances, we're called the Gold Coast. We have the glitter strip, looking wealthy and healthy, keeping up appearances. Even if you're not particularly healthy or wealthy, just appearing to be this way can be a temptation for us. What we drive, where we live, how we dress, all project a certain image and a particular lifestyle. Especially when what we wear to the gym becomes what we wear to the shops. Sculpting the perfect body in the gym, manicuring it in the salon and spa, showing it off at the beach, Botox in your buttocks, cosmetic corrections for lips, hips and other bits, insta-famous influencers infiltrating the internet, influencing us towards greater self-indulgence, self-promotion and self-importance. All of these are temptations for Christians living on the Gold Coast. Our possessions speak of our power and position. Our possessions hold power and position over us. We're also known as Australia's playground. The Gold Coast is where people come to play. A, life, a luxurious life of luxury and comfort. Why live for eternity when you can live in surface paradise? The weather, the beaches, the entertainment. Hollywood on the Gold Coast. It's easier to live by sight and not by faith, especially when there's so many sights for us to see. But drive west of Hedges Avenue or even the Gold Coast Highway and you'll find people living on Struggle Street, keeping all the plates spinning, raising a family, paying a mortgage from a demanding job, putting kids through private schools and planning their next overseas holiday. Chasing an illusion called lifestyle, stuck on a treadmill called overcommitment. With all the stress, anxiety, busyness and tiredness in trying to keep up with everyone else. Perhaps the temptation for us is to blend in and to fit in with everyone. Not to raise too many eyebrows or to draw too much attention to the fact that we're Christian. Maybe the temptation for us is to be the same, to not create any conflict or tension to keep our conservative opinions to ourselves around the workplace water cooler of tolerance. Maybe it's that we feel the need, a tempting desire with all of the best intentions to somehow make Christianity more appealing to people, to make church more attractive and more attractional, to put on a show, a concert, an event, drawing the crowd, growing our brand, increasing our market share. Except for Sundays, we live like everyone else, but why? But we wonder why this Christian lifestyle isn't working for us. Whatever the biggest temptations are for Christians living on the Gold Coast, and by the way, I don't think that there are any of these things. I think our temptations are a lot less obvious. Whatever our biggest temptations are, I doubt very much they have anything at all to do with turning stones into bread, jumping off the highest point of the temple, and bowing down to have world domination. The closest we get to any of these temptations actually being a temptation for us would be the one about the bread. 
And even then, that'll be about avoiding the carb intake. But Matthew 4, 1 to 11, are temptations that Jesus faced. Jesus was put to the test. And we're in our series on Matthew 1 to 4, and we've been asking God to prepare our hearts for us to receive this long-awaited, anticipated, promised son. We've been looking at Jesus' origins and his preparations for ministry. This series is called A Great Light Dawns, and Matthew waits for the light to dawn on us. We've seen God is patient, present and persistent in keeping his promises to be with his people. The genealogy in Matthew 1 pointed us to who Jesus is, the stars and the scriptures. In chapter 2, tell us where to find him. Last week, it wasn't the aligning of the stars, but the tearing open of the heavens. Out in the wilderness, beyond the Jordan, we heard the heavenly voice declare, Jesus is the beloved son of God's pleasure. In Jesus, God is pleased. But now we're in the Judean wilderness again, and the son of God's pleasure is being put to the test. Led by the Spirit, tempted by the devil. See it there, will you? Chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The Spirit who descended upon Jesus at baptism now leads Jesus out into the wilderness. But it's not the Spirit who tempts Jesus. God does not tempt us. God tests. Satan tempts. Tempt and test are the same word in Greek, so it's really important we get our theology right here. External things are allowed to happen by God's sovereignty. God allows people to be tested. God uses people, circumstances and events to shape us, to test us, to grow our trust of him. God uses bad things that happen to us and shapes us by them so that we become more like Jesus. He makes good come from evil. He uses our suffering to grow us in our maturity. Seriously, certain people, events and situations can be very trying and testing on our character. Wouldn't you agree? But God doesn't tempt us. God tests, grows and refines our trust in him. It's the evil one who tempts us. Temptation speaks to our inner struggle with desire. The devil questions our desires and our longings and the tempter tests us in times of testing. Who or what will be our master? Jesus, led by the Spirit into the wilderness, is now being put to the test as the Son of God. But it's the evil one who tempts him. Look there, verse 2. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. And that's when the tempter turned up. The devil comes to tempt and to test with temptation. The devil offers an easy way out, a quick fix, an instant and seemingly satisfying alternative. I was at the gym on Wednesday when I could smell fresh bread coming from a nearby factory. On the bike, one millennial said to the other, I can smell bread. Yes, said the other, there's a bakery nearby. Do you think they have gluten-free donuts? He shrugged his shoulders and I just shook my head. 
what is the gluten-free deal? I mean, really, I am from a different generation, aren't I? But when you're hungry, I guess you'll eat just about anything. And that's exactly the devil's suggestion to Jesus. Turn these stones into bread rolls. Notice where Jesus is tempted, where Jesus is being tempted, where the devil strikes at his at him with temptation. It's at the very heart of who Jesus is. It's at his identity. If you really are the Son of God, God can turn stones into bread. God can turn can turn uh, send bread from heaven into the desert. Turning stones into bread would prove it. But it's a trap. Because turning stones into bread would only prove that Jesus is here to please himself. Turning stones into bread might solve his immediate desire to be satisfied, but it won't prove his desire that he's here to please his Father, the one who is well pleased in him. And it won't prove that he's the Son of God. Only obedience to the Father does that. See that with me, won't you? Verse 4. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. After 40 years wandering in the wilderness, again standing on the verge of entering the promised land, Moses commands the people to remember. Remember how God tested you. Remember how he humbled you in hunger. Remember how he fed you in the wilderness. So that you might know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. In the wilderness, God tested the sons of Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. So God might know what was in your heart. See it there? Testing from God reveals our hearts. Israel revealed their hearts when tested with hunger. What they revealed was that they complained about the bread. That they were satisfying only their own longings and desires. That they disobeyed the word of God. Now after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness... This son of Israel, Jesus, is hungry. God's testing reveals what's in his heart and his desire is to obey God and not to satisfy himself. And so now the scene moves from the wilderness and into the city as the devil now takes Jesus to the temple and the highest point of the temple. And again, the temptation strikes Jesus' identity. And again, the suggestion from the devil seems ridiculous, doesn't it? Satan tells Jesus to go jump. Look there, verse 5. Then the devil took him, into the holy, took him to the holy city and sent him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Actually, standing on the temple complex, it's a whole lot more complicated than all of that. This time, Satan has a verse. He's got two of them. Psalm 91 speaks of God's protection of his people. Since God is my God, my fortress, my refuge, I can trust him to shelter me from troubles. That's what Psalm 91 says. He will deliver me from danger. He will send his angels to protect me so that I won't strike my foot against a stone. It's not that Satan twists God's word like he did in the Garden of Eden, but here he takes God's words out of context and then offers a terrible application to this situation like some preachers that I know. 
So Jesus, if you really are the son of God and God provides this level of protection for his people, how much more will God protect you, his son? Let's see. Go on. Jump. And although skydiving and bungee jumping probably comes close for us, again, it's not really all that much of a temptation, is it? But the temptation for Jesus here is to be self-centred. And that is a big temptation for us. How beloved is this beloved Son of God? Again, the devil questions Jesus' identity and tests the strength of love between the Father and the Son. But Jesus doesn't jump to reactions. Instead, he responds with more scripture. Not to correct the evil's exegetical use of Psalm 91, but again, he refers to the book of Deuteronomy. There, the people of Israel put God to the test. Remember, God tests us to reveal what's in our hearts. In the wilderness at Massa, the people demanded water. They even asked, is God with us or not? There, the people put God to the test, which is not our job at all, by the way. To test the Son of God is the same thing as testing the Lord God himself. Satan had failed in his attempt to test, had failed in his attempt to tempt. Israel failed their test at Master. The unfaithfulness of God was as clear as the faithfulness of Jesus is now to us. See that with me, won't you? Verse 7. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And so now the landscape changes again for a third time. Matthew really likes mountain scenes. He likes mountaintop experiences in his gospel. And he calls this mountain a high one. So it's hard to know exactly which mountain he's referring to. It could be Mount Hermon, which is near Lebanon and Syria. That's a really high mountain. But it's probably more like Mount Nebo in Jordan, which is where this photo was taken from. Mount Nebo is where Moses saw the promised land but was never allowed to enter into it. And so it makes sense that it was probably Mount Nebo as Satan offers Jesus more than what Moses missed out on. Look there, verse 8. The devil tells Jesus to go and take a hike. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you fall down and worship me. Of course, the obvious question to ask here is, are the kingdoms of the world and their glory actually Satan's possession to give away? God, not Satan, has authority over all things. And yet Satan is still called the prince of this world. Satan has some authority on earth, but it's momentary and it's earthbound. The kingdoms of the world and their glory are exactly and only ever that, friends. They are worldly. They cannot and will not last forever. The world and all that's in them is passing away. The other obvious question to ask is, is that what Jesus came to do anyway? All the kingdoms and their glory are his, all authority in heaven and on earth. But only after his resurrection from the dead, only after his crucifixion, betrayal and denial, will Jesus stand on a mountain in Matthew 28 and declare that his mission is accomplished. See that with me, won't you? Matthew 28, verse 16. 
Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when Jesus saw them, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. <coughs> Excuse me. What Satan is offering Jesus is a shortcut, a fast track, express lane, instant coffee, microwave version where all the glory and authority being given to him by his father after the resurrection from the dead could be his right now. Why wait? Why wait when you can have it all right now? See all this, Jesus, it's all yours if you just worship me. Express delivery without suffering, shame and stigma. Without the stigma attached to being the suffering servant. Once again, it's a test. Temptation. How committed is Jesus to being the Son of God? Jesus tells Satan to take a hike instead. He responds with an exorcism. Be gone, Satan. And for a third time, he quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. It's a quote in direct contrast and opposition to the devil's offer, isn't it? Of fall down and worship me. Which brings us back again to the people in the wilderness where Israel failed to obey the Lord. God told his people Israel he's a jealous God who'd punish all those who worship idols. That's what the people did in, in the wilderness. They formed a calf made out of gold and they bowed down and they worshipped it as God. Where the sons of Israel failed to obey, Jesus, the Son of God, is triumphant in his obedience. It's at this point that the devil leaves him. But before we leave this passage this morning, let's look again at verse 11. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Jesus was hungry and told, Turn stones into bread. Throw yourself off the temple and angels will protect you. But now the devil has left him in verse 11 and angels come and ministering to him. Ministering means feeding him. You see, this is the beloved son of God's pleasure. In Jesus, God is pleased. Where Israel's sons failed in their faithfulness, Jesus, God's son, triumphed by his obedience. Obedience that remain faithful in the temptation of Gethsemane. Not my will, but yours be done. In the temptation of the cross, come down from the cross and save yourselves up until his very last breath. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Living by every word from the mouth of God, Jesus lived his desire to please his Father. So that by his resurrection, Jesus can declare all authority in heaven and on earth has now been given to me. God uses our circumstances to test us because testing reveals the contents of our hearts. But it's Satan who tempts us. He tempts us with desire. He tempts our desire to please God. Now, while I can tell you the best way for us to beat temptation is to know your Bible even better, and to learn some verses and to quote them at Satan, all that will do is help you manage your sin. It'll only contain things for a little while for you, 
Until the next big temptation comes along when you're at your most depleted and vulnerable self. No, this isn't about sin management techniques. This is about the deepest desires of our hearts. You see, testing exposes what's in our hearts. Temptation wants us to divert, to be diverted from them. What's the biggest temptation for Christians living on the Gold Coast? Well, I think it's the temptation of complacency and despondency. What does it matter? And what's the point? Are they the whispers that I've been tempted with lately? Give up, Mike. Seriously, what's the point? But the question isn't so much, what's our greatest temptation? It's what's our greatest desire? Jesus' greatest desire was to please the Father who was pleased and who delighted in him. Is that your greatest desire too? What do times of testing reveal about what your greatest desire is? 